Deuteronomy chapter 9. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for every single opportunity, including this one, of getting into your word and Lord, having your heart opened up, open up for us. Your word says that David was a man after your own heart, and what a wonder it is! What 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 a a privilege it is to to see your heart opened up, Lord. And just what is there, Lord? The 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 love, the the justice, the the holiness, the wisdom. We thank you for that, Lord, so much, and. Just pray, God, in the name of, of Jesus, Lord, that you would lead us, sanctify us by your truth. Even as you pray, pray, Lord Jesus, in John chapter 17, your word is the truth. Sanctify us with the truth. Your word is the truth. We have your word right before us. Lord, sanctify us. Set us apart. Allow us to grow in holiness and worship as we are in your word, Father, here in Deuteronomy. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, again, you have the children of Israel here on the east side of the Jordan River overlooking Jericho. And it is they are just about to go in within 30 days they're going to be going in and they are going to be possessing and this is the end of their 40 years in the wilderness and uh, very interesting address that Moses has for the children of Israel at, at, at this point you know uh so oftentimes as Christians we we need to be prepared for affliction we need to be prepared for trials. And you've probably heard it said before, wow, if, if, um, if I had had some of the trials that I had had 10 or 15 years into my Christian walk, if those trials had been brought in in year one, I wouldn't have made it. That's because the Lord was preparing you. But here in Deuteronomy, you really have a different picture. He's preparing them not for trials and afflictions, but for prosperity and uh, I can't remember the name of the, uh, the Romanian, I think it was a Romanian pastor who was asked whether America could survive a great, great persecution. A great, great persecution. And uh, his response was, oh, I, I think they do good in a persecution. I just don't know what they would do with prosperity. And wow, uh, that's a lot of wisdom uh, with that, to be sure. And uh, so here Moses is preparing them for prosperity. And so let's see in, in, in this chapter how he does it. Uh, he's just continuing on where we were last week in chapters 7 and 8. This is really a continuation of that same theme. Verse 1, Hero Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go uh, into, but it says today, oh, it probably doesn't mean it literally, uh, but is, is talking about that, it, that the time is at hand. You are to cross over the Jordan today and, and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to 
heaven. Wow. The cities are fortified up to heaven, probably a reference to their walls, which were uh, 30, 40, 50 feet tall, as I understand. And uh, that would have been a foreboding thing to go in and to the land and say, okay, defeat this city. It's going to happen soon with Jericho, but, uh, and, and see uh, the walls that are, that are that high, walls that reach up to heaven. But he, so he's preparing them here. And verse 2, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, those are giants, whom you know and of whom you heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Verse 3, therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring uh, them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. And so, there you have it. Moses, again here, he's preparing them for a time of prosperity here, and he, uh, as we said towards the end of our last message, that um, he's really doing the same thing the ten spies did 39 years before when they went in from Kadesh Barnea into the Promised Land and they came back with a report of uh, how the how fortified the cities were, the, the Anakim, the giants that were there. Uh, the big difference, of course, is the 10 spies uh, for 39 years before who led Israel into rebellion, resulting in them having to wander through the wilderness for 39 years. They, of course, at the time said, we are like grasshoppers in, in the eyes of these people and we will be smushed. Big difference here. The Lord uh, is saying through Moses, yeah, um, these are the Anakim, the giants, of whom it was said, uh, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? That's, by the way, that's a really good quote from Numbers 13.33 when uh, the, the people were filling themselves up with fear and spreading fear. Moses here, on the other hand, said the Lord is going to go before you as a consuming fire. Oh, how I, I love that verse. Just the, the, the unabated, unrestrained fire and holiness of God. No one can stand before it. And we uh, saw already in Deuteronomy 4 the reference to the Lord being a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24, for he is a jealous God. Same thing in Hebrews 12.29. God is called, quoting, of course, um, and Deuteronomy says that God is a consuming fire. It says he will, verse 3, it says he will destroy them and bring them down before you. He will bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them 
quickly. Now, the key to me to verse 3 is just this very simple statement to the nation of Israel there that the Lord your God is he who goes before you. And oh, that that would be, that promise would be branded into our souls because the Lord does. Remember that as a Christian, it's our responsibility to seek the Lord and to join him where he already is or where he's going, not to, not to, 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 to go where we want to go and say, Hey God, join us here or, or, or go where we want to go and say, um, Hey, Hey, Hey Lord, can you catch up to me? No, it's going to where he's called us to. And anytime he's called, uh, we go to where he's called us to, we can be absolutely sure that he goes before us. And I tell you this phrase that the whole phrase, you know, God goes before, uh, goes before you. It, it just means so much to me because I, I, I remember uh, eight, it was now eight years ago when I was working part-time three days a week and was considering whether or not to go uh, full-time. In other words, quit my job and go full-time, which is, a, you know, it's a foreboding thing when you have five kids and, you know, and a wife, uh, but the church had grown and uh, they were at the point where uh, they could support me, but you know, how do I know that in six months all of a sudden the offerings would go down or whatever? And uh, so it's it's a big step uh, in in the life of anyone who is going into be um, full time pastoral work where they're not uh, they don't have a job on the side. Now, of course. Everyone's in full-time ministry, but um, uh, leaving a secular job where you are making money in order to support your ministry is a is a foreboding thing. And I I, I remember uh, being up. Uh, the, the Lord was bringing everything to crisis in my mind and in my soul, and um, I I, stu- I I remember just sitting up in bed and and saying, Lord, I need to see the word go. I need to see the word go. And uh, I, I just said this over and over. I need the word go to be implanted in my heart. I need to see the word go. So that was a Sunday night. And um, I remember kind of a funny story that that day on, on, on Sunday, I had already been thinking about uh, leaving and going uh, full-time, but I hadn't told anyone. And our assistant pastor gave a message on giving, and he emphasized to everyone in the church, he made it really, really clear, we don't need your money. Our financers are fine. Of course, he's not thinking that um, they may be taking on uh, the uh, a full-time pastor, having to pay a pastor full-time. And uh, I, I left that meeting uh, filled with filled with fear and that's what kept me up a good part of the night I just need to to hear the word go and so I got up in the morning and I, I picked up a devotional I'm a devotional junkie and the and the uh, devotional I was in I don't remember the one but it had the the one line from Matthew uh, 28 where Jesus says go into all the world and when I read it 
I don't know if this was a rebellious spirit or what. I just said to myself, "Oh, come on, I, Lord! This this is too this is too common, uh, too oft quoted uh, verse here. I can't. I know the word go is in this verse. I'm not going to be one of these Christians who just uh, takes any kind of sign and, and moves on it, and it's quoted all the time. So uh, I appreciated the verse, but uh, that wasn't going to do it for me. So I went out and I went deep into the, the woods, the Dover woods here and uh, out 30 minutes outside of Boston. And uh, I went in there and I opened up my Bible. I had been going, started off in Genesis chapter by chapter, doing one chapter a day. And I had gotten to Isaiah 51 and I'm like, okay, this is it. I got to see the word go. I got to see it somewhere. If I'm going to go and, uh, you know, if I'm going to go and, and make this move, I just really need to hear. I need to. I need this word in my heart. And so I got through Isaiah 51. It uh, did not mention the word "go" anywhere. And I said to myself, you know something, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read one more chapter. And so I, I went to Isaiah 52, and I got to verse 11. And this is what a verse 11 of Isaiah 52 says, verse 11 and 12, actually. It says, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. I was stunned. <laughs> I was stunned. I was spooked. I, I, I leapt. I was on a rock uh, deep in the forest there. Uh, uh, and uh, I was on a, a, a large rock and I was, I, I, I basically leapt almost trembling. I just couldn't believe uh, there had been such a, a specific answer to prayer. Um, if you count up the the uh, the times that the word go is used in those two verses and include the two words depart, depart, which otherwise uh, in the Old Testament and other places in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for depart is interpreted go seven times in those two verses, verses 11 and 12. So then I went home and I spoke to my wife and I said, you are not going to believe this, but uh, I was telling the Lord, look, I, I need to have the word go. I need to see it. I need to read it. And uh, I told her what happened. And she said, well, that's so strange. And she didn't know a thing about uh, a thing about my prayer request to see the word go. She said, that's so strange. I just uh, read my devotional, Charles Spurgeon, uh, the faith checkbook on March 12th. And this would have been 2010. And it's quote, another quote from Deuteronomy 13, 18. And it says, of this, it says this, And of Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in thy going out. And in the body of the devotional, it says, Jehovah will bless Zebulun's going out. We also see a promise for ourselves here. When we go out, we will look out for occasions of, go, uh, of joy. We go out to travel 
and the providence of God is our convoy. We go out to immigrate, and the Lord is with us both on land and sea. We go out as missionaries, and Jesus saith, Lo, I am with you to the end of the world. We go out day to day to labor, and we may do so with pleasure, for the Lord will be there with us from morning till evening. And then Spurgeon said, A fear sometimes creeps over us when we are starting, for we know that not we know not what we may meet with, but this blessing may serve us right well as a word of good cheer. And so uh, if you count up the times in that Bible verse, Deuteronomy thirteen eighteen, and the body of the devotional, the word go seven times, just like in Isaiah 52, 11, and 12. If you add the title, which... Um, are almost certain that Spurgeon didn't write the title, it was an editor, it would be eight. But uh, nevertheless, um, this was an absolute shocker to me. I have never received a confirmation quite like that. And But what was the theme? The theme of the whole thing is the Lord goes out before you. And and that's just one of those moments that, you know, when times get really hard, uh, that mile marker is a good one to, to, to remember. Look at the Lord's gone out before you. Stop fearing. Stop worrying. And so uh, the Lord goes out before you, Moses says. Yes, these cities are great and are fortified up to heaven. Yes, it's a people great and tall. Yes, it's the descendants of the Anakim, of whom you have heard, who can stand before the descendants of the Anak. But don't fear, because verse 3 says, God goes before you. And by the way, he's a consuming fire. And and so that's all we really need to know. It's it's true. If we're obeying the word of God, if we're if we're in the word and in prayer, and serving at the local church, obeying him, living a life of obedience. No one's going to be perfect. The book of James says we stumble in many ways. But if, if, if we are obeying God in our day-to-day walk, walking in grace, the only thing else that we really need to know about the future is that God's going before us. And that's just such a, a comforting thing. So he, he, so at the end of verse 3 again, Moses says, So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord God has, has said to you. Verse 4, Do not think in your heart, after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. He's... Moses said, no, it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from you. Verse 5, it is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then again, a third time, verse verse 6, Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Oh my! 
So in our last lesson, we read in chapter 7 the warning from the Lord to the through Moses to the nation of Israel, uh, verse seven of chapter seven, he said, "Look, the Lord did not set His love upon you because you're more in number than the other people. Uh, no, you are the least." And so here in Deuteronomy chapter nine, he says, "Not only did He do it because you are, are not the 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 biggest and most numerous and most powerful, He didn't do it because you were righteous." And he tells them three times in just consecutive verses. I didn't do it because you're righteous. I didn't do it because you're righteous. I didn't do it because you're righteous. Remember what he's preparing them for. He's preparing them for prosperity. What happens in prosperity? We get this crazy idea that our prosperity has something to do with how strong we are or how good we are. And we get crazy ideas. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was the Lord. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. No, you know, we, we give that lip service. But in our heart, we look at others who may not have, who are not, haven't been prospered as much as us. And we're thinking, yeah, you know, there was, there was something about me. And so he tells them three times. It wasn't because of your righteousness. Verse three, it wasn't because of your righteousness. Or rather, it wasn't because of your righteousness, verse 4. It wasn't because of your righteousness, verse 5. It wasn't because of your righteousness, verse 6. So all of you, listen, all of you listening to this message, just look around your life, the prosperity that you have. Maybe you got some money there. Maybe you have a successful ministry. Maybe you have a beautiful family. You have a, be- uh, a, a beautiful husband, a beautiful wife. Maybe you have a lot of friends. Well, let me tell you. And I'll tell you three times, everything that you have, you didn't get because of your righteousness. You didn't get because of your righteousness. You didn't get because of your righteousness. I love what uh, Moses does does next year to drive home the point. Verse 7, remember. (laughs) It's going to remind them here of their long record of sin. So it wasn't because of your righteousness. And by the way, remember what you did. Of course, he's saying it here, the Spirit of the Lord with, with love. So now he's going to go through their record. And their record, and by the way, your record and mine, is not good. <laughs> Verse 7 says, Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord, your God, to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that uh, the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. Speaking there of building the golden calf and Moses had to intercede for them not to be destroyed. Verse 9, when I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made uh, with you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Then the Lord delivered me 
to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of the stone, the, ta the tablets of the covenant. And the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, verse 13, I have seen this people and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the uh, mountain burned with fire, and the, and the two tablets of covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, had made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Just underscore that word quickly. It's amazing how quickly sometimes we turn away from the Lord after a long history of him being faithful in our lives. He said, you turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Verse 17, then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first, 40 days and 40 nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also, and the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took, then I took your sin the calf which you had made and burned it with fire and crushed it and ground it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw it, its dust into the brook and descended from the mountain. Verse 22. So that was the golden calf story. Verse 22 is from Numbers 11. Also at Tabera, that's Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, when they complained and they joined in the complaining with a mixed multitude. And Massa uh, that is uh, another incident of complaining uh, that they had. Uh, and Kibroth Hatava, that was when they complained about their manna. You provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you. Then you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you do not believe him nor obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord forty days and forty nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on the wickedness of their sin. 
lest the land from which you brought us should say, it's because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he promised them. And because he hated them, he has brought them out to, the, to kill them in the wilderness. Verse 29, yet they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. And so uh, the Lord, because of that intercession, of course, uh, he didn't destroy them. And uh, the, the point being here is in verses 4 through 6, he says, look, three times, it wasn't because of your righteousness. And by the way, if that hasn't convinced you, let me remind you um, uh, of where you have been as a people. And he recounted just the sin, the incredibly serious sin uh, that they had been involved with, and also shares with them, look, you wouldn't even be sitting here today. Talk about, you're, you're here only because of the grace of God. You wouldn't even be sitting here today if I didn't intercede for you, and, and the, with the Lord having relented. So application here, I, you know, I, I find that uh, I am so prone uh, to pride, so prone to think of myself better than others. And uh, I think that the antidote for, for, for me is really similar to what we just read here in Deuteronomy chapter 9, which is, uh, Steve, you're told throughout the word over and over again that whatever you have or whatever ministry you do that might be successful, it's not because of your righteousness. And uh, by the way, remember. And I will remember. I'll remember some of the disgraceful things that I have done uh, before I was saved, and uh, and you know you got to be uh, you got to be careful here because you don't want to dwell on sin. But by the same time, if you're being lifted up in pride, uh, sometimes this is the only you know this is the only way to go. You got to say, okay, now wait a second here. Um, I, I'm, I I know what's going on in my heart. I'm I'm lifting up myself above other people other pastors, other whatever, and, uh, and, and I remember, and I remember some of the, just the really, really, really ugly things uh, from my past, and you know what happens? By the grace of God, I go from, you know, thinking, you know, I, there is just something about me and, you know, my, my, the operation of my gift. I go from that to thinking, wow, it's really unfair that I have been chosen to be used in this way because there's so many people that are better than me, that don't have the record that I have in sin, uh, of sin, that God could have, could have chosen. It's unfair, and it doesn't make sense, and I certainly don't deserve it. I deserve something so much worse. I, I deserve death and hell. I, I deserve never to have, to have been drawn to salvation. So that, that's, uh, that's where we want to get to. Again, 
not to be consumed with our own sin. And if 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 it can always go in the other direction, we can consider our record uh, so much so that we're steeped in depression for uh, forgetting about what Jesus did on the cross for us, and and for a different reason, putting you know uh, being acting or thinking in a way that's really really unpleasing to the Lord. Uh, but but I tell you, pride's a dangerous thing. Uh, the Bible says God, First Peter chapter five, God uh, opposes the proud. He opposes them, and uh, when you're in a place of pride in your life, you're in a very dangerous place because the proverb is right. It says, "God." It says, "Pride comes before destruction." is what it says. Pride comes before destruction. And so, uh, so important that we are vigilant in our mind, that we are very vigilant in our mind to get rid of that pride, to present our pride uh, to him. Uh, The Bible says, uh, Job chapter uh, 9, verse 4, God is is wise and hard and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? You cannot prosper uh, when you are holding on to your pride. Of course, the danger is, is that uh, pride blinds us, and oftentimes a person who has pride, they're blinded by their own pride. And that's why uh, it's so important. Uh, Psalm 139, Lord... Uh, Search me, examine me, see if there's any wickedness, wicked way within me, and lead me on the way everlasting. Just pleading out to the Lord, He'll He'll show you. He'll show you His darkness. He's faithful uh, to do that. But uh, uh, prosperity, a very, very uh, dangerous temptation. In some ways, far more dangerous and seductive than affliction and great trial. And Moses is preparing them uh, for great prosperity. We've already read. We've, uh, we read in uh, chapter 8. They're going to be moving into beautiful houses. Uh, chapter 8, verse 12. They're going to be gigantic herds of cattle. Uh, verse 13. Their silver and gold. Verse 13 of chapter 8 is going to multiply. And you know, it's it, it actually says in verse 14 of chapter 8, not if, but when your heart is lifted up, don't forget the Lord your God. So it, it's part of, it's it, it's just part of the fall. It's part of what we inherit from Adam, that when we are pro- prospered, when we're prospered, there's prosperity when God, when the Lord brings prosperity into our life or ministry or, or, or business or whatever, our heart will be lifted up. The question is, what are we going to do with that? We need to be vigilant. We need to be vigilant in spirit uh, with the, you know, you know, in our, in our walk with God. Staying close to the Lord, clinging to the Lord uh, every day. I think in verse First uh, Thessalonians five, chapter twenty-three, Paul gives this charge to the Thessalo to the Thessalonians. 
He says, now may the God of, um, of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we, when, you know, when, when in our spirit, in our soul, we, we begin to struggle with uh, this craziness of, of our pride it's we need to be vigilant uh, with with those that kind of thought life. Second Corinthians seven verse one says, "This beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filth, filthiness of filthiness of of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God." So we have a responsibility to cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of of of, of our spirit and of our flesh, and and part of that is just the pride that. In. And so what better place here uh, to learn of, of how to deal with our pride than Deuteronomy, uh, these chapters, chapter 7, 8, 9, uh, and 10. And so uh, some interesting little tidbits here. Verse 18 of chapter 9 we read of Moses the first time he went up with the uh, and got the, uh, the the two tablets. He he fasted for for forty days and forty nights. Or uh, no, I, I apologize. It says here uh, the in verse nine of chapter nine. It says when he. In verse nine, it says he it references his first forty day fast. There, it says when I went up to the mount to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of covenant which the Lord made with uh, made made with you. Then I stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. So that was forty day, forty night fast number one. Now they, it's kind of interesting to me reading that it's interesting to me reading that there that we don't read it's as I had mentioned in a previous lesson on Deuteronomy from time to time we get new facts and we don't read at least that I can see. Send me an email if you disagree. We don't read in Exodus 24 that he was fasting the first time that he went up the mountain. We don't read that. Uh, we do read that the second time he went up the mountain after their sin, we read uh, at that time, indeed, that he did fast, that he ate no bread nor drank any water. That's Exodus 34, verse 28. So here in Deuteronomy chapter 9, we read that not only uh, the first time he went up the mountain did he fast, but also the second time. The second time, which he went up again after their sin, he fasted another 40 days and 40 nights. You know, recently I, I posed the question to the church and 
who knows, maybe I'm not supposed to pose questions like this, but uh, we were just talking about the, the, the beauty of holiness of Jesus Christ compared to every other human being in the history of the world. And I just posed to everyone uh, at the church services, both of them, and I asked, so, you know, who in the history of man, who do you think was second best? Who do you think was second best after Jesus? And, and, and I told him, I know he's like there are a million miles in, in second place. I get that. But who, who do you think is second best? And, uh, you know, from the Old Testament, we, we for, rather from the New Testament, we really thought, well, pa- Paul and just what he went through, just, just sh- so shocking. Uh, the, the things that he went through, being stoned and uh, shipwrecked and spending a day and night in sea and, and dangers of uh, of bandits and dangers of unbelievers and just the imprisonments. There's just the whole thing. It's just shocking, this guy, and uh, just an amazing man of God. But in the Old Testament, we just we were thinking about Moses, and I tell you, uh, you know, Moses, this guy, he, we just uh, read here, he, he not only fasts for 40 days and 40 nights prior to getting the first tablets of stone. He does it again after they send to get the second two tablets of stone. And I'm just such an amazing guy. I mean, you think back in in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, when they rebel, that he he is, they literally elect someone uh, to lead them back to Egypt, and they try to stone him. And, And what does he do? Uh, he does the same thing we read about he did after the gold calf in Deuteronomy chapter 9. He prays for them. He pleads with the Lord, don't kill them. Just such an amazing man of God. Just such an incredible example uh, to us of of a heart that's consecrated. And, and you know something? Uh, he was a man of flesh and blood like us. We can't look at this and say, oh, well, that was just Moses. Nonsense. We actually have the Holy Spirit, which he did not. We can live a life fully consecrated to the Lord, just as Moses did. But I, I, I am so encouraged uh, by his life in so many ways. Another interesting tidbit that we get here in Deuteronomy 9 that we did not get in the book of Exodus, it says that the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron. So uh, in Exodus, we know that he prayed for the nation of Israel. We we don't have the tidbit about Aaron himself, that the Lord was going to destroy him. And that uh, it's it says here in verse 20 of chapter 9 of Deuteronomy that Moses prayed for Aaron as well. Uh, an amazing thing, by the way, that just a little while after that, the whole golden calf incident, you have Aaron, he's established as the high priest, he's praying for Israel. And so if you have been in some incredible kind of sin and and think, wow, surely God's not going to answer my prayer. Well, let me tell you, you look at the bloody cross, God paid for your sin as he did for Aaron's sin. Uh, of course, that with Aaron, it was looking forward. With you, it's looking backward. But the point being is that Jesus' death on the cross was just such a spectacular, singular event in human history that um, you're entitled to pray. So Aaron, even after the golden calf uh, 
incident went to God to pray. Not only are you entitled to pray, God longs for you, he loves you, and he longs for you to pray. And so the uh, the incredible uh, example of, of Moses here and the anecdote to our pride, the antidote, not anecdote, antidote to our pride, which is remembering what the Bible says, that it's not because of our righteousness that the Lord has done anything, but got to take some time, some time to, when we start getting delusional about how good we are, to, to remember. Remember what God has saved us from. You know, I, I, before I go into chapter 10, you may be one of those folks who, who grew up in a Christian home and you, know, you don't have the drunking, the driving, the uh, drunking and dr- driving while drunk and, and, and the drug, the stealing, the, uh, the, the imprisonments, the, uh, the, the, the things like that. But you know something, when you, when you consider any thought of pride, and that pride was what originated. It's what led to every single act of sexual immorality, of, of drinking, of drugs, of rape, of molestation, of murder. Pride led to that. Pride's the cause of it. And uh, if you have that in your heart, it's as wicked as, as wicked gets. And so reflecting when you are in that place of pride if you did grow up in a christian family and you don't have those outrageous stories of rebellion listen you're no better than anyone else uh, your pride is as wicked and ugly as as the the worst kind of molestation rape or murder and this is the bible uh, <laughs> that i'm it's not just words that i'm making up this is what the bible teaches pride is that bad pride cometh before destruction Okay, chapter 10, Moses says, At that time, uh, at what time? It's when, after they sinned, Moses went up the mountain. He had been interceding for them. Uh, and so he went up the mountain for the second time and to get uh, the two tablets of stone. At that time, the, uh, the Lord said to me, Hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. Now, I think I mentioned this earlier in Exodus that uh, it's interesting that the first two tablets that that God cut them out uh, and God wrote the words, uh, rather that God God wrote the words. He wrote the the words on on the second tablets uh, as well, but uh, Moses himself uh, had to cut out the tablets uh, in order for God to write on the second time he went up. And, you know, I kind of joked about this last time. Why? Why the distinction? Why did God actually cut out, hew out the tablets the first time and the second time it was Moses? I don't know. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I mean, the only thing that I can think of is personally, you do, try, you do, you do listen to some folks uh who say Moses was justified smashing the two stones. I don't know. You know, the Bible does say the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Did God forgive Moses? Did he overlook that? Yes, absolutely. But it's like, hey, 
you got to make the next two tablets yourself. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's the the best that I can think of. So hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. Come up to me on the mountain and make yourself an ark of wood, and I will write on the tablets the words that you were that were on the first tablet which you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two uh, tablets of stone like the first, and went up the mountain having the two tablets in my hand. And he and he God wrote on the tablets according to the first writing the ten commandments which the Lord had spoken to you in the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Verse five. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark which I had made, and there they are just as the Lord commanded me. Verse 6. It's a parenthetical here. Now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of Benajakan to Moserah, where Aaron died and where he was buried, and Eleazar, his son, ministered as priest in his stead. From there they journeyed to Gudgaja, and from Gudgaja to Jotbatha, a land of rivers of water. At that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless, uh, in, to bless in his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion nor inheritance uh, with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. And so... Uh, interesting parenthetical there. I can't exactly explain to you why uh, it was here. Maybe it was because of the previous reference in chapter 10 of the, you know, of an ark uh, bearing the tablets where uh, where uh, the, the, the Levites there, there's reference to from now on they would be bearing uh, uh, the ark, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Or uh, perhaps it's just a parenthetical for them to remember, look, it's just by the grace of God that I've given you these people uh, to, to minister to me. Remember, um, the, when, the, when the Israelites were at that mountain during the assembly where, where God was speaking the Ten Commandments, Moses did have to warn them to, to get back. Uh, lest they die. And so perhaps this parenthetical is, is just about the grace of God. By the grace of God, by my grace, I've set, a, I've set aside a people who will, uh, who will carry the ark and minister at the tabernacle because, uh, as you have already learned, uh, I am so holy you can't come near me. And so I have these people consecrated for that um, purpose and I've raised them up uh, by grace for you. Perhaps that's the reason for this parenthetical here. Verse 10 says, As at the first time I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord also heard me at that time, and the Lord chose not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, begin your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 12, And now Israel what does the Lord God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, 
to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all and with all your soul. So what he has done here is he, just in a nutshell, he's like, you're going to go into this land. Whatever you do, don't say in your heart. It's because of, uh, you know, my righteousness or it's because of we were a strong and mighty people uh, that we obtained all this prosperity. Uh, don't think that. Remember all the terrible record of sin that you do. So you're going you're gonna to go into the land at that time. And, and rather than having pride, rather than lifting yourself in pride and leaving the Lord, here's the instructions for you, verse 11. Rather, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require you but to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Verse 13, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you to do today for your good. He adds that. I'm not giving you law because I'm a hard taskmaster and I like to torture you. It's they're for your good. Uh, verse 14, indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. So everything belongs to the Lord. Just remember, you're stewards and you're going into the land where uh, the Lord is going to give to you from that which is his. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them and chose their descendants after them, you above all people, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. So here we are told that the... Uh, uh, the physical uh, circumcision that was uh, God uh, commanded of, to, to Abraham uh, and uh, to the Israelites, uh, it was the, the physical representation, rather the physical reality represented a spiritual reality that was far, far deeper and more important. The physical circumcision just represented that, uh, look, this is supposed to re represent you who uh, are, you, that you don't live a life um, according to the flesh. You live a life according to, uh, according to the Lord and based upon the leading of the Lord, not according to your flesh. And just as they would be physically set apart by being circumcised in this manner, spiritually they would be set, set aside by being people who, who love the Lord, who love each other. Both of those commandments uh, mentioned already in, in the book of Moses, who have joy in their hearts and who morally, M-O-R-A-L-L-Y, uh, are set apart as well. And so, uh, and, and of course, all of that, the motivation is from within. And so that spiritual circumcision as well. In the New Testament, we don't have the requirement of physical circumcision, but we have uh, 
that reminder, even as the physical circumcision was a reminder to the Israelites of them being set apart and, and, and the need for them to follow the Lord's leading in their life, to love him. In the New Testament, we have a better reminder, and that is the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, oh my, will the Holy Spirit remind us um, that we have been set apart, that we're a different people. Uh, last Sunday, I was speaking, uh, it was, uh, speaking with some of the guys, a few of the guys, uh, inner city guys who we work with uh, here in Boston. One of them was uh, complaining that uh, he had gotten caught uh, doing something where he was, there's some other guy who had been doing it over and over again. It was so obvious he was doing it, he never got caught. I just made the point that that's because you're God's chosen. God doesn't let you get away with uh, the things that other people may get away with. And so uh, the Holy Spirit does that. He reminds us, look, you're not like everybody else. I know everyone else does that and doesn't get caught, but you're not everyone else. You've been set apart. Uh, then verse 17, a, a wonderful, wonderful verse here. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. The great God, the mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He's not influenced by any man. Uh, you can't bribe God. You can't coddle up to God and say, uh, you know, Lord, uh, I'll give you this. I'll give you that if you only give me this. Uh, you know, uh, that that. He may, in his mercy, sometime be okay, grant you a request, even though you're saying that. But but uh, he doesn't take bribes. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Verse nineteen. Therefore, love the stranger, the immigrant, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So I mentioned this before. Whatever your Whatever your view is on immigration policy in the United States of America, you better be obeying this verse, loving the immigrant, loving them, because you were too an outcast, and God saved you. He drew you in for salvation. And just talking about the fatherless, the the, the, the widow, uh, the uh, the orphan here giving them food and clothing I was recently in John chapter 12 verse 26 and I, I and that's the the verse where Jesus says where I am there my servant will be also and I personally believe that's an admonition to the body of Christ to to be with the fatherless to be with the widow to be with the immigrant to be with them the outcast the prisoner so oftentimes overlooked. I was fascinated that Charles Spurgeon, uh, I, I read a lot of Spurgeon sermons. I was particularly fascinated that that particular verse, John chapter 12, verse 26, where I am, there my servant will be also. It's the only verse that I know of that that verse alone, uh, Spurgeon gave five different sermons. Uh, it is uh, so important that we, again, uh, began with prayer that uh, even as David was a man after God's own heart, we too should be praying that we're the same, but his heart 
It's for the stranger, the immigrant, for the fatherless, for the widower, or for rather for the widow and also the widower. Verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in, in, in his name. Verse 21, this is, this is a great uh, verse here. He is your praise, meaning he's either the object or the cause of your praise. He's, uh, meaning he's the object of your praise in that everything that is around you, everything small and great, from those wonderful children you have, those wonderful friends you have, the, the spouse, grandchildren, parents, whatever, down to, again, I think we mentioned this last time, that wonderful pungent pepper that you put on your, uh, that you're on your sunny side eggs. It's all from the Lord. He is your praise. He is your praise. So it's, again, either the object or the cause, of the, the, the cause of the praise. By, by that I mean this, um, anything that you have in your life which may cause someone else to look at your life and say, hey, wow, look at that. And that, 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 that guy, Steve, he's, he's special. The, uh, he just knows how to, how to, he's got the smarts to, to, uh, to raise his kids or, or he's got the the the, uh, the personality to gather friends around him. He's got the the hard work to, to have a good ministry. All nonsense. <laughs> it's all from the Lord. Uh, he is your praise. He's the object of your praise. He's, he's the cause of any praise that may be coming your way. I'll never forget the time I was. Uh, we were building a house here in in Boston twenty years ago, and a guy came by and. Uh, the house I don't think was finished yet. It, it may have just been finished, and he had just been kicked out of his house, and he uh, was addicted to drugs. Uh, I think he had lost. Uh, he had just been fired from his job, and he was doing. And he he mentioned my house, and I said, "Yeah, it's it's all the Lord." And he goes, "Oh, nonsense! That house there is your hard work." And, she, and, and, and he sat there trying to convince me. Meanwhile, this is a guy who had just been thrown out of his house, had uh, just been fired, uh, and, and was a drug addict. I, 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 you know, it's amazing to me um, the, how stiff-necked people will be insisting that man has what he has, uh, but for some reason, any reason other than the 100% grace of God. He is your praise, verse 21. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. What a, how, how can you, how can you sum up grace uh, better than that. Verse 22, you were 70 people. Now you're it's as the stars of heaven and multitude. So anyway, that's it for today. God bless you. Next time we will pick it up in Deuteronomy chapter 11.